Good morning. Thank you uh, for allowing me to preach to you today. And uh, as you can see on the screen, uh, our focus verse is Ephesians 2.10, uh, which was our theme verse for VBS. And, uh, you know, uh, Stephen asked me to preach about a month ago. And I was like, you know, I, lo- I love to preach, which may sound weird to some of you, but I do. And... Uh, I, was, I immediately started thinking, well, what, what am I going to preach on? You know, what has God been speaking to me? Should I use something uh, about that? And then he goes, it'll be the Sunday right after VBS. You could do the, the theme verse. And I was like, perfect. You know, uh, you, know you, get, you get what you're preaching on out of the way, and then it just kind of, that's the most important question. And, and uh, so this is the first time I've preached uh, with our new schedule with uh, 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 small groups afterwards. And so uh, I'm, I was a little nervous, like, what, what if I end too early? I mean, there's going to be a huge gap. And, uh, you know, because the old way, if I ended early, y'all just really liked me, and, and you, went, you went to lunch and, and stuff. But uh, I, you know, I, I went back to what I always go back to when I'm worried like that. And uh, I asked myself, uh, you know, are you staying true to the text and uh, are you saying what God wants you to say? And, and if the answer is yes, then it really doesn't matter how long it takes. Uh, of course, you're hoping I won't go long. But uh, so if we end early today, ask yourself, did, did Brother Ken stay true to the text? And if the answer is yes, then the second thing is God just must have thought we needed more fellowship uh, today. So uh, use that time to get to know each other a little better. But... Um, hopefully I'll, I'll stay on track. And so uh, VBS was this week, uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And the, the theme was uh, uh, Ephesians 2.10 with the motto being created, designed, empowered. And, and you'll see that in our theme verse. And uh, when I first heard that motto in training, uh, I, I thought, yeah, isn't that out of order? I, I mean... I really like that it's in alphabetical order, so I wasn't sure if I should speak up and and you know. But then when I looked at what what they were talking about, I was like, well, you know, God designed us and then created us. But uh, I I started to realize that that God did design us and then create us, but but He's got designs after we're created, and He's got plans for us afterwards. Uh, creation was just the starting point. Redemption is just the starting point for those who have life in Christ. And God has designs way beyond that. Uh, just like the marriage ceremony is just the starting point. And then you have a whole life uh, in front of you uh, with, with your loved one. And so I, I eventually goes, okay, that, that, that's a good order. We'll, we'll stick with that. I won't raise any, any concerns. And so uh, uh, it's created, designed, empowered. And uh, we... Our, our first Monday lesson was God as Creator. And then Tuesday was, was the story of redemption. And then Wednesday was uh, about the Holy Spirit empowering the church. And, and so, uh, you know, if, if you only had three lessons to teach, those are really good ones. And, and I think it gives you a, a very whole package of knowing God, uh, uh, accepting Christ's gift, and then, and then walking in that. And, and so uh, uh, why don't we all stand uh, with me as we le- read the theme verse. Verse. 
And I've memorized this verse in several different versions, so I, I don't want to give you a multi-version verse. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let me pray. Father, uh, I thank You for You. I thank You for who You are and and all that You've done in creating us, in redeeming us and uh, through Your Son and empowering us through Your Spirit. And Father, I just pray that you would use me as as, uh, Aaron prayed and and that my words would be yours and that we would hear from you and be obedient to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, it's a little intimidating sometimes when you have such a small passage, uh, but there's there's so much going on here, I, I, I don't think that'll be a problem. But I wanted to start out with some context, and, and we'll start out with the, the book context, and then the chapter, and then the previous uh, two verses, and so uh, uh, I think that that'll really help uh, as, as we dig into Ephesians 2.10. And so uh, Ephesians is a great letter, as they all are, and uh, Paul particularly often in his letters has a, a, a Christology section uh, where he really uh, digs into who Christ is and what that means to us and who we are. And then he has a practical session, uh, uh, section and, and uh, you know, he, he starts applying uh, the Christian life to, to their actual uh, situations and how they should behave and live it out. And, and many of his letters are like this. Ephesians is quite convenient because the first three chapters are, are that Christology and the, our identity. And the last three chapters are kind of living it out in our life. And I, I like to say the first three chapters are our life in Christ. And then the last three chapters are Christ in our life, and, and uh, you know, you, you you could probably think about it both ways, but uh, uh, so that's kind of Paul's method. Uh, he he wants to teach us. He starts with with uh, just rock solid information on who Christ is and who we are, and then uh, he starts applying it to to life situations. and And if you don't have a summer study uh, program uh, uh, this summer yet, and, uh, I encourage you uh, choose Ephesians. It's a, it's a great letter. Uh, just uh, take take some time to read through the whole letter. It, it won't take that long. And then uh, just think about what it says, and then start working verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And and um, uh, you know that first week, you can just keep rereading the letter over and over again. And you'd be surprised about after if you keep repetitively reading through it and, and thinking about it, you'd be surprised at how many connections there are that you don't notice just by reading it once. And so. Um, Paul is is talking to the Ephesian church. He hasn't he hasn't met them, and uh, and so uh, he's sending them this letter. In fact, uh, uh, Ephesians doesn't have a lot of personal information because of that. Uh, they actually think it was a circular letter, uh, and and uh, some of the manuscripts for Ephesians don't even have the word Ephesians in it. And they think uh, that that they, you know, as as you see in Ephesians, he says, pass this letter on to, to the church in Laodicea and read the letter that I sent to them. Uh, they think that they would just scratch out the church's name and write the next church that they sent it to on. And so in, in that way, it became a circular letter that they just pass around from church to church. And so there's not a lot of personal information in Ephesians. And so... 
he, he talks about who Christ is. And, and when you get into chapter 2, he's really starting to focus on, on who we are in light of who Christ is. And, and the reality of who we were before we knew Christ, because he's, he's talking to uh, fellow believers, people who are in Christ, and so he reminds them of who they were before they were in Christ. And, and so chapter 2 uh, has this great phrase, uh, there's so many phrases about our identity in Christ, but before, uh, he says, you were dead in your trespasses. And that's just, Wow. You know, and, and, and I've heard different analogies of, of who we are before Christ, and sometimes people describe us as we're drowning, and Christ is the lifeguard that rescues us, and, and other people say, no, we're, we're, we're dead, and, and, and Christ gives us life. And, and my answer to you is yes. You know, it, it's both. You know, Ezekiel talks about uh, in, in chapter 36 that God promises to his people that I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and put my spirit within you. And so, I mean, heart of stone, you're, you're dead, you know. And, and there's a part of us that without God acting in our lives, we, w- we have no hope of even acknowledging our need for Christ. But, but we are thinking, breathing creatures, and so the, the lifeguard analogy works too. And we're drowning, we're bound for hell without Christ. But we have this life, and until uh, we, as long as we have breath in our lungs... There's hope, and, and we should be a people of hope and, and share the message of hope to, to all that will listen. And so, you know, both analogies fit in, in different aspects of who we are before Christ. But, but he says, you were dead in your trespasses. And elsewhere, he says, you were children of wrath, children of disobedience. And that's who we are before Christ. But then he starts to say, but in Christ... You have the riches uh, and the fullness of Christ, the, the blessings of heaven, and, and, and uh, these first three chapters are just full of all that we have in Christ. And uh, he gets to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And uh, many of you may have memorized this. And this is, this is one of those tricky verses, because when I was real little, I was taught to memorize King James verses. And then when I became uh, you know, uh, older, and then middle school and high school, I, I, I bought myself an NIV Bible. And, and then in, in seminary, I, I, I fell in love with the ESV Bible. And, and then in... in uh, VBS, we, we read from the CSV, and so I'm a little scatterbrained when it comes to certain verses that I've memorized since childhood. And uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is one of them. For by grace we are saved, and, and they're going to put it up. For by grace we are saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It, 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 it is, oh, see, I'm going to mess it up. Let me read that. For by grace... We are saved and through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
And that is just a great salvation verse. But I, I remember in college uh, realizing that Ephesians 2.10 really complements Ephesians 2.8 and 9. And it kind of kind of finishes the idea. And so I began to, to add 10 uh, into my memorization. And I started to think of it as a complete thought. And, and, and Paul really wants us to know it's grace that saves us. And, and, and grace is the free gift of God. In fact, actually, if, if you're reading uh, chapter 2, Paul already said previously earlier in the chapter, it's, it's by grace that saves us. But he doesn't say through faith there. It's, it's in 8 and 9 that he says through faith. And, and so uh, he, he starts to expand later in 8 and 9. He says, it's God's free gift that saves us. It's the work of God that saves us. And we receive it through faith. That's how God chose for us to receive it, that we have to trust Him. And, and another analogy that I really like is, is, is accepting the gospel message of Jesus is, is like a, a parachute jump out of the plane. You know, and, and uh, that's scary. You're not sure if you should do it. And, and, uh, but ultimately, you have to jump out of the plane and trust that that parachute will will save you and that you'll land fine. And there's no way to partway trust that parachute. You know, if, if you're still holding on to that plane in any fashion and haven't jumped so that you're free-falling, no one would say that you're trusting that parachute. You have to trust Christ. You have to ask Him uh, to, to forgive you and be your Lord and Savior. We call that repentance. Uh, realizing that you're a sinner, realizing that you can't save yourself, realizing that Jesus is who He says He is, the Son of God that, that came to this earth and lived a perfect life, and that, that He gave His life on the cross uh, as payment for us, not for Himself because He didn't need to, payment for us, and that he rose again, and that if we ask him to forgive us, if we ask him to be our Lord and Savior, that's enough. That's all we have to do, and trust in that. And, and let me tell you, as a young Christian, after I had done that, man, I was so tempted to try to add works back into the picture. I really struggled with that. I, I struggled with if you could lose your salvation. I, I tried to, to prove my worth to God when I should have just been enjoying the relationship and growing in Christ. And, and I remember as a young Christian, I wanted to point to a work to prove that I was a Christian. And, and in my mind, the greatest work that anyone could ever do was lead someone to Christ. And so I was really fervent about trying to lead someone to Christ because I wasn't sure if I was saved. And I wanted to point to that work and say, see, see, I, I, I did that. I, I have to be a Christian, which is totally messed up. <laughs> it's not what Christ wants. I was wanting to trust in a work to prove, to point at something that I did. Instead of saying, you know what, and I remember in college, I got saved my freshman year in college, but I took a year off and then I transferred to a different college. And I remember it was at, at that different college two years later, and I was still wrestling with if I was saved or not. And finally, I, I, I don't remember the day, but I just remember being in bed, thinking about it, and I couldn't go to sleep, and, and finally just thinking, you know what? Either God's word is true or it's not. 
Either I'm saved or I'm not. And, and, and I've already asked Christ to forgive me. I've already asked him to be my Lord and Savior. And, you know, it didn't stop all the doubts from popping in my head, but, but it, it changed my life when I finally started to rest in the salvation that I had already asked for two years earlier. And I stopped looking to a work to prove that I was saved, and I started realizing it's the work of Christ that saves me. And so that's what Paul really wanted the Ephesian church to understand, that it's grace, it's God's grace that saves you, and, and, and not by works. And, and, and he says, and this not of yourselves? There's a big debate among scholars over what the this refers to. But as I've grown and read Ephesians, I, I, I begin to see more and more that the, this refers to salvation as a whole. Salvation is not from yourself, which is, is why he's saying it's not by works so that no one can boast. You know, some think it's the grace, but grace by its very definition is, is from someone else. So that can't be what the, this refers to. Other people think it's the faith, that God gives us a gift of faith, but that, I think that's a really hard way to go because then it sounds like God gives some people faith and other people, and, and it's really all God, and, and he decided who would go to heaven. When, when he offers that to all, other places in the Bible are clear that God offers his gift of salvation to all who will listen, to all who will accept and and second peter says that the heart of god uh is that all would be saved but not all get saved and so i began to realize and especially since paul earlier in the chapter says uh you're saved by grace and he doesn't mention faith that this not of yourselves is referring to salvation and that because uh, if, if faith is something that God gives, well, we won't dig into that. We can get really bogged down. And this is all just set up for Ephesians 2.10. Because I believe that Paul is contrasting. He really wants them to understand salvation, who they are in Christ, and, and how it is that they got saved, and that it had nothing to do with works. I mean, Paul... I don't think any one of us could even come close to the works of Paul before he knew Christ. And, and he says of his works before Christ that they're rubbish. Uh, just a big old pile of trash. Not worth anything. And in fact, all the man-made religions in the world, almost all of them are works-based. And, and, and Paul began to see and teach, and, and the apostles understood uh, by Christ's work and, and his teaching that none of us can make it. None of us are good enough. Our works are rubbish. We need a Savior because without Christ, we're going to go splat, as Jeremiah taught. I really like that. <laughs> and, uh, and so Paul really wants them to understand, but then... Ten comes in direct, not contrast, but, but he, he ends with, and this not of yourselves, not by works, so that no one can boast. And without saying it, Paul, verse 10, is screaming, if you want to boast about something, get ready, because here it comes. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which he prepared in advance 
for us to do. And I think I gave you a multi-version version. Excuse me. And so my first real point of Ephesians 2.10 is God is the true worker. The work is God. And, and, and the main idea of this lesson is boast in the glorious God and his work of salvation. Boast in glorious God and his work of salvation. We are his workmanship, but he is the worker. He did the work. And, 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 and I think of this work in, in two ways, in two parts. Uh, I, I hate to call it general, but, but maybe the, the, the overarching work of God's salvation that is the same for all of us, which is the story of, of the Bible from the very beginning, in fact, uh, uh, many verses in the New Testament tell us even before time began, which is from Ephesians chapter 1, even before time began, God chose us in Christ. God knew what was going to happen before he even created time, let alone us. And before time began, before it was all created, He knew what Adam and Eve would do. He knew what all their children would do. He knew what we would do. And he knew we would need a Savior. And he had a plan in place. This is God's uh, all-encompassing plan for all of us. His great work of salvation. And we can boast of that all day long. I could spend the rest of the sermon in God's great work of salvation all throughout history. And, and he, he, he hints at it even right in the fall. And, and, and Jesus is the snake crusher. I, I love the story that Stephen reads for the children. Jesus is the snake crusher. He defeated sin and death and 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 and, and shoved that snake out of the way because no one else could. I mean, we saw that in Revelation. John was was so sad because no one was going to be able to open the scroll, and Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, steps forward and opens it for us. Our very purpose, I, I taught the children, our very purpose was to know God, to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. That was what our purpose was before sin entered the world. And that's what the good news is, that, that Jesus has paid the price to restore us to our intended and original purpose. But the good news is, is even better than you can imagine because He doesn't just bring us back to the beginning so that we can start over. He brings us forward. Jesus lays upon him, us, his righteous life. All the works that Jesus did in perfect obedience to the Father is laid upon all those who put faith in Jesus Christ. This is still part of the great work of God. And so when God looks on all those who have faith in Jesus and, and, and calls them his own, his beloved children, co-heirs with Christ, he sees the perfect, complete, finished work of Christ resting upon us through the blood of Christ. And this great work is something we can boast about all day long. In fact, we will boast about this all eternity long. And, and again, everything's connected. Revelations, we've already seen, Revelation, we've already seen in Revelation that, that uh, we have a new song that no one else can sing. The angels love uh, that have, haven't fallen. The angels love and adore God. Uh, but, but we love and adore God and, and we are the redeemed. 
And that's a special song just for us. And so this is, this is the great work of God. And I, I began to see in the motto, Created, Designed, Empowered, that God's work doesn't just begin and end with salvation. Sometimes as Christians, we really want our friends and our neighbors and our family to be saved. That is by far the most important thing anyone could ever figure out. But that's just the starting point. God has a great many plans for all of us. We are his workmanship. And if we accept Jesus Christ in faith, that's just the beginning point. And God is going to work in us and continue to work in us. And and we look at the people of faith throughout the Bible and God carries them along. And you read the roll call of faith in, in Hebrews 11 and God carries them along and they all cry out, it was worth it. They are the great crowd of witnessing. And in my selfishness and immaturity, I used to think that I was the object of their witness you know oh i'm running the race like jesus wants me to i look at me i I, I can be quite self-centered and then one day i was reading that verse and i realized the great cloud of witnesses is testifying to the greatness of god And they said, you can look at our life and see how great God is. He carried us along, sometimes through some really crummy stuff, but it was worth it because we have Him. And we want you to realize that too. No matter what you're doing, no matter what you're going through, it's worth it. And... and, uh, uh, Nate Saint or Jim Elliott, I forget which one, they were two missionaries that went down to South America and got martyred for their faith. And they found in, in one of their Bibles a quote that they had, had written down. And, and one of these men said, uh, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. This is the great work of God. And... and uh, And so as we look at at God's workmanship and what he does uh, just as our creator and what he does as our redeemer and how he is calling, imploring us. And and I I told the young people uh, a quote from C.S. Lewis. Uh, I I love C.S. Lewis. And and C.S. Lewis liked to remind people, God is a gentleman. He's not going to force anyone into his kingdom. He, he invites, he calls, he implores, and he asks us to do the same, uh, uh, to be ambassadors for him on his behalf, inviting, in, imploring, urging, praying hard on our knees. For we are God's workmanship. You know, and, and I, I tried to think of a lot of illustrations that, that we would, would apply. And... Uh, God is the artist, and we are his works of art, living works of art. And, and I, I began to think, you know, in, in uh, high school and, and college, I, I kind of fell in love with a, a PBS show, uh, The Joy of Painting with Bob Ross. Uh, I, I don't know if you all know him, but, but man, that guy is so chill, so laid back, and, and it is just so soothing to watch his show. I just loved watching it, and, and you know, uh, uh, I, I still love watching it. And, and he's just 
this really happy guy. And, and I'll, I'll be wat- almost invariably, I'll be watching him make a, a complete painting in 30 minutes, which kind of blows my mind. And, and he'll work on the background first, and usually mountains and lakes and other things. And I'll just start thinking, wow, that looks really good. And then halfway through the show, he's got this beautiful background, and, and he almost always goes, and we need a happy little tree right here. And, and, you know, dark brown paint just starts going right on top of that beautiful background. And I'm going, no, what are you doing? And then he says, and he needs a friend. Another tree. But by the time he's done, it looks even better. And then my mind was blown like, that really beautiful mountain is now behind that tree. And, and, and unless you watch the show, no one knows that's there. And, and he, he was a master. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm sure he won't go down as Da Vinci or Van Gogh or anything. But uh, if, if, if I ever had the chance to own a Bob Ross painting, I'd be quite proud of it. And, and that doesn't even compare to the true and perfect artist. You know, uh, Hebrews calls Jesus the author uh, and perfecter of our faith, the finisher and completer of our faith. And, and, and you think about who God is and what he does and his story of redemption in our lives. And, and I, I remember getting to preach on Rahab, a while back ago, and, and how she is just a great testimony of, of God loves everyone, and even the lowest of low and people that you would think are pushed to society and no one would want, God wants. And his gift of salvation is truly offered to everyone. In fact, you look at who Jesus hung out with. Sinners and tax collectors, those religious leaders grumbled a lot. And I Far too often I find myself, without really thinking, being on their side. And, and I realize I, I'm in the wrong spot. Everyone, I shouldn't judge. Everyone deserves to hear the gospel message. Don't withhold it from anyone. You never know who's going to get saved and who's ready uh, to respond. Uh, so I, I remember reading this article about this guy, and he's like, we need to go where the field is ripe and, 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 and spend our energy on only the people that, that we know will respond uh, uh, readily and quickly. And I'm like, I, I can't see their heart. I don't know. Uh, how, how can he decide this people group is, is more ready than that people group? And, and I, I just totally disagree with him. Our, our job is just to bear witness, to testify to the glorious God that we love, who, who worked in all of history for work to all of us. But you know what? We also have a specific story. You know, there's the general story, the great and general story that encompasses all. But we individually have specific stories of how we heard this message and how we accepted it and came to know Christ. Another thing that C.S. Lewis says in one of his works, uh, they all blend together, so I I can't tell you which one, uh, is that he believed that we will spend eternity getting to know an infinite God and sharing our own unique story with each other 
of, you know, because we, we all have this unique story of how we heard his story and accepted that free gift of salvation. And we can boast in Christ because of that. Look at what Christ did for all of us. And I can testify specifically of what he did for me. And this is how I came to know and understand and accept the true gift of God. We are his workmanship. He is the artist and we are his works of art. And after we accept Christ, he's not done with us. That artwork needs a little tree in front of it or a big one. And God has great plans for us after we accept Christ. And so in our last part... I began to think about the good works that he has prepared for us in advance. And, and I wanted to, to, to think about these good works. You know, and, and, and my mind, you know, goes back to my, my pre-resting in Christ days. And, and I still, you know, I, I think that it's true. One of the greatest works we can do is to share Christ uh, and, and help someone else realize that and in fact if you look at the context of 8 9 and 10 the work that God does is for salvation so that we can know him again glorify him again and be part of what we were always intended to be that's the work of God and when we have good works in advance that's the work that we're supposed to be part of, to share it with our neighbors, our co-workers, uh, the bank teller, the gas attendant, the whoever. God has good works for us in advance. And, and I think about, you know, before the fall, Adam and Eve uh, were supposed to tend the garden. And God, again, God did the work. He planted it. Their job was just to kind of maintain it. And, and we know after the fall that part of the curse of the fall was that work would become burdensome. So they had work beforehand. They had a job beforehand, but it wasn't burdensome. And so uh, we believe that one day in heaven we're going to have work. I'm sorry if, if that comes as a news to you. But, but the curse will be removed. It'll be something that we have joy in. It'll be something that we glorify God in what we do. And I can't really tell you the specifics of it, but I had a friend in seminary that was, came to me and was very honest. He says, Ken, I, I don't know that I can worship God 24-7 all the time in heaven. And, and through a long conversation, I, I kind of drew out of him. You know, if all we were supposed to do is, is worship God in a giant stadium, why is there a new heavens and a new earth? If all God needs is a giant stadium surrounding himself and we just worship him for the rest of eternity, there would be no purpose. But there is a new heavens, there is a new earth, um, I think. And I said, and in fact, aren't we supposed to worship God all the time now? Does that mean that we're supposed to be in the pews, on our knees, with our hands lifted 24-7? No. We're supposed to have an attitude of glorifying God. We're supposed to pray continually. How do we do that if we're supposed to be on our knees? We're going to starve to death. And of course, the answer is, everything we do should glorify God. And so that's, 
That was pre-fall. And then you look at all of the biblical history and you look at these people of faith that, that, that came before us. And, and uh, I think Abraham's my best example, the one that I th- think of often. Because he would receive a word from the Lord and he would be obedient to it usually. Uh, he messed up a few times. And then it'd be like years until the next word from the Lord. That blows my mind. Like, but we're just seeing little glimpses of his life. And I think about all the life in between. And you look at the prophets and the kings and the other people of faith throughout history. And they had these momentous times where they, they interacted with God. God spoke to them and they had a choice to be obedient. Jonah ran the other way but if eventually became obedient. And these are some momentous times. But there's a lot of life in between. And all that time in between, God wants us to glorify Him, to continue doing the work, to be focused on Him in the big picture. And, and, and kids and youth, uh, this, this point is especially for you, it's all for you, uh, but, but I, I began to think about my struggles with youth camp. I loved youth camp. I got to go uh, at a young age, and I went every year after that. And, uh, but you, you got home, and you're charged up, you're powered up, you're empowered by the Spirit, or at least you thought you were, because I didn't get saved till I was freshman in college. And then, you know, it, it was like a waiting game. You, you, you could say, well, how many weeks, maybe if I'm doing really good, how many months before I just fall back into all the same old patterns? And, and something in my mind knew that the way camp was, was how I was supposed to be. Because what's so great about camp and and kids, youth, camp is great. If you haven't been, you're going to love it. What's so great about camp is, is your entire life is structured around a single purpose. And, and that's getting to know God and growing in Christ. And, 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 you know, spiritual retreat is just great like that. I'm not saying don't have a spiritual retreat. But the trick and the thing I, I, I didn't learn, mostly because I wasn't saved, but even afterwards, the trick is you got to apply that to the rest of your life, all the life in between. And so I wanted to say God has good works for us. These momentous times that, that in our life where we're supposed to do something critical and something important, but they're really no different than all the life in between. You know, uh, every morning, you know, how we drive to work can glorify God. How we interact with our family can glorify God. How we interact with, with gas attendants, waitresses, uh, store tellers, co-workers can glorify God. Everything we think, say, or do can glorify God and should glorify God. And, and the trick is, someone else structures it for you at camp. you got to start learning how to structure it for yourself. To get up in the morning, and, and th- Ephesians 2.10, my final point to encourage you, is a great prayer to pray in the morning. It can be something as simple as this. Good morning, Lord. I know that you have good works for me today. Help me to see them and, and be obedient to them. 
And, and if, if you can't see any good works that day, then your prayer at the end of the day would be like, sorry, Lord, I, I totally biffed. I, I missed it all. Help me to see it tomorrow. Help me to see what I missed today because, because your greatest mission field is all the people you meet on a daily basis. Your family is one of the greatest mission fields where you get the opportunity to share the love of God every day in what you say and what you do and what you think. And yes... For those who don't know Christ, that is is what we implore. That is what is critical, and it seems very momentous. But every day is God's workmanship. And God not only has these plans for us, but he thought about them before time. He has these plans for us. And, and, and I was going to you know, talk about the ideal will of God and then the revealed will of God and then the allowable will of God, which is all a thing to scholars. But that doesn't matter because we don't have to make it technical because all that really matters here to us today is who are you And how should you respond to what God wants? Do you know God? Do you have a relationship with Him? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? That's who you need to be. Have you done that? What is God speaking to you? Are there areas in your life that maybe you haven't been giving to Him? That you haven't been glorifying? That you haven't been allowing to be a work of God? Some of you are probably something popped in your head. You need to tell a brother or a sister, me or, or someone else that, that is a believer in Christ. Yeah, I haven't been giving this to God. And he revealed this to me. I need to give it to him. It might involve cutting it out of your life. Uh, Paul told Timothy, flee sexual immorality. And I, I often think of Joseph running to the house so quick that he, he ran without his clothes. That's the kind of... Action we need to put in running away from evil and running away from sin and temptation. So I ask this, who are we before a holy God who has created us, who has redeemed us, who is calling us? Who are we? And how does he want us to respond? That is the work we need to focus on today. Let's pray.